All right, Jake, we're live. We're live. Good morning, good afternoon, good night to wherever you may be watching around the world. This is Stock Talk episode 20. As always, nothing we talk about here is financial advice. Please consult the financial professional and uh, do not follow what we're talking about here as advice. Daniel is joining us from Asia. I'm joining us from uh, United States, and we have a lot to talk about today. Snapchat earnings, Amazon earnings, Google earnings, and meta earnings, I believe. So yeah, it was a big week. Yeah, lots to fit in here. How are you doing over there, Daniel? And I think we got like 10% of Shelby in there as well. So good night to you guys over there. <laughs> yeah, it's nighttime for us. It's 9 p.m. here. Uh, we're in Vietnam right now. We're in a place called Halong Bay. And it's been interesting trying to get like a solid dinner. So Shelby actually just ordered us some, some uh, food. So about... I don't know when it's going to show up, but I got a burger coming at some point. We'll see. We'll see what it's not a burger. It's a, it's a pizza now. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, no, we're chilling. We're chilling. Are you experiencing the, uh, the native cuisine there? Because I didn't expect you to say burger. That's something I'd get in New York. Yeah. We're, we're, we're experiencing everything. Um, Jake, do you know, Eric? But I like my Western food, that's for sure. <laughs> Every time we go to a restaurant in Calgary, all he orders is a burger. Like, I can pick out the burger on the menu that he's going to order. It's true. So, anyway, I was going to say, yeah, super quick on do you know Daniel well? Super interesting question. Of course, the answer is like yes, but in specific ways where 99% of our time hanging out is virtual. So, I'm not eating burgers with you. So, I guess that's one aspect of. Daniel, I am yet to learn more about, but one part I do know about is what you think about stocks. So <laughs> yeah, all right. But warm up with Snapchat earnings here. Yep, yep. I just want to, I just want to shout out Stock Auto. Stock Auto came here just to say hi, hello, Stock Auto. Have a great weekend. Uh, love seeing you tune in a little bit just every week, and I uh, hope you're having a great weekend too, man. All right, let's present my screen. I will be the screen presenting police. So if uh, there's anything, I'll let you know. We are now going to see an infinite loop. Let's go. All right. Now, <laughs> we're this, we got a really quick conversation to talk about Snapchat. Okay, here we go. Snapchat screenshot number one. A quick So Snapchat. right here, Snapchat. So right here, you can see that at the bottom, Snapchat clearly highlights, we repurchased $1 billion worth of shares in 2022. Reducing Class A shares outstanding at year end by over 6%. So, and you know, right away you're reading that, you're like, sweet. Snapchat's buying back a ton of shares. Their share count is going down. They're rewarding, their, or they're giving money back to shareholders. You know, awesome. That looks great. And then you take a look at the numbers a little bit more. So this right here was Q4 2021. This is their common Class A shares. And you can see that the Class A common shares have declined by that 6% that they talk about. However, they do not include the shares underlying stock-based awards. So the stock-based compensation going on, they, they just excluded from this calculation. And you can see here the top number is the actual shares outstanding, the total shares outstanding, and it's still increased year over year. So basically, Snapchat spent a billion dollars buying back shares and then when you actually factor in the stock-based compensation going on, um, the share like there's still shareholders are still being diluted. So 
you know, basically what Snapchat did is just like threw a billion dollars out the window last year and it did nothing for shareholders. Yeah. Snapchat gets me upset because I've been a very happy user. I use Snapchat every day and I've been doing that for well over a decade. We're at like 13, 14 years in, but as an investor, I hate it. They also do things which I don't like where most of their earnings presentation, when you scroll through the 50 slides, the first 40 are all them like selling a vision. It's not real numbers. And then they do things like this. Hey, our revenue's up 12% year over year. And like, okay. And then underneath that line, they decide to not use a percent and say, our operating expenses grew from six billion to six billion in the current report from 4.8. That's a 25% increase. So you don't need to be too good at math to say, well, if the revenue is going up 12% and their expenses to make that revenue went up 25%, that's not great. And to I've not someone heard what's going down. Yeah, to, to, to end this kind of negative rant on them, not only are they repurchasing shares, but they have taken on debt. They're not profitable. To me, this just company does not seem super well managed and there's nothing exciting for me as an investor to look forward to here. So, well, yeah. What you have to ask yourself with Snapchat is just like, does the management sound like they're really looking out for shareholders when they're doing, when they're clearly handpicking numbers to mislead the person reading the investor presentation? Like, are they actually looking out for you as the investor at that point? And in my opinion, not at all. So that's why I really like to call out this stuff on our live streams and everything, because this is the kind of stuff that you should watch for. And these are little tips that you can use to analyze the management of a business. And like, do you want to invest with these people? Yep. Their average revenue per user down to $3.47 from 4.06, the fourth quarter of 2021. Just, I can't find anything good about this report. <laughs> yeah. So that's my that's my quarterly rant on Snapchat. I I, I uh, tend to do this about once every three months whenever they report because it's just like I just have to talk about it. But anyways, now let's move on to Amazon. So Amazon's earnings I thought were like pretty polarizing from what I saw on Twitter at least. There's a lot of people like this was an awful report. People were calling it like a dumpster fire. I actually saw some Amazon bulls like liquidate their entire position saying they're done with the company. And then I saw more people tweeting, like, if you're an Amazon shareholder, I'm going to be praying for you right now. And then I went through the report. So what I like to do is I like to go through the report before reading anyone else's opinion. And when I went through Amazon's report, I was like, it's not like amazing, but it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It was just like the company is continuing to execute on what they said. And like, I, I, I don't know. I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah. And are you a shareholder, Daniel? Yeah. I have Amazon shares. I have as well. And. You know, the, the stock ran a lot too before earnings. So if you look at the stock change relative to a week or two ago, it's still up. I, I also started a position when it was going under 100. I did not think this was a dumpster fire report. I also didn't get super excited. But yeah, there's a lot of things going on here. You know, they did layoffs. AWS is an interesting story because it still grew 20%. I actually listened to the earnings call, by the way. So love to talk a little bit about what they said there. Jassy came on for the call. There's really interesting undercurrents going on with their ad spend and stuff. I think it would be super interesting to look at the breakdown of their income streams by revenue because some of their bigger revenue streams stagnated while ones that are smaller are starting to take up more pieces of their pie. And that's what I think not enough people are talking about. Yeah, I agree. So I'm going to just really quickly share Amazon's income statement. And I believe that the the areas of the business that you're talking about are the service sales because the product sales were actually down year over year, but the service sales were up quite significantly. And then also Amazon's total operating income dropped quite significantly year over year. So this is what I mean. Like if you're taking a look at the income statement, the operating income, the net income, it doesn't look good. Like it's, it's down quite a bit, but then 
What I also find interesting about Amazon is they put their cash flow statement first. So it's almost like Amazon is telling you, hey, we like to focus on cash flows instead of the income statement, which I agree with. And when you take a look at the cash flow, their cash from operations was up 32% on the fourth quarter year over year. It's flat for the full year, but they're improving cash flows massively, which is exactly what the company said to investors that they were going to do. And I mean, they're doing it like it's right there. And then their CapEx is also down by roughly, I think when I calculated, I think that was like 15%. So they're reducing their CapEx like they said they would. Cash flow, operating cash flow is coming back up. So to me, I was just like, I mean, they're doing literally exactly what they told shareholders they were going to do. Yeah. One thing that's always confusing for me is they run almost at a loss consistently on their sales. So like their marketplace and everything, obviously operating cash flow goes up, but they have to spend so much to make that they almost run it at a loss. I mean, that's been Amazon's growth story, but they're of course super profitable in AWS. I was just trying to find out how many prime members they had right now. And the highest numbers I was seeing was like 200 million. You know, this is a very diversified business. So again, not like a great report, but I want to, I do want to share and point out what I was talking about before, just to look at the different ways this company makes revenue, because I think that there's a larger, more like Amazon macro story going on here. So yeah, just what you were talking about, looking at online stores, physical stores, you can see how much money of revenue they get from those. It's definitely Amazon's cash cow. However, this is what I thought was pretty interesting. So we're seeing across Google and other search-based businesses, ad revenue start to top off a bit. In my opinion, that's a very mature economy, mature business of selling ads directly through search. What's interesting is consumers are starting to go more direct to consumer. They're starting to find products through influencers and like short videos and stuff like that. Their advertising services are growing incredibly quickly. I mean, going from almost 20 billion in 2020, getting closer to 40 now in 2022, it's a massive amount of growth. I don't agree with the bears on AWS. They're still the leader. They grew 20% on a huge number. And when I listened to the earnings call, they were speaking directly to AWS growth and management seemed very confident that their, not only their pipeline for new customers was big and that more and more huge businesses were making the switch to the cloud, but they also attributed a little bit less revenue growth to the fact that in the economy we're in, companies are optimizing their cloud-based spend. So there was a big push by their existing customers to just optimize what they were already spending. And the last thing, again, is their subscription services. So these are all smaller pieces of the pie now. But if you are a long-term investor in Amazon, believe that these tailwinds will continue to carry them through more profitability and revenues, these will, in my opinion, continue to go up. And it's just going to be interesting to watch this play out and see what their business is going to look like, you know, two years down the line, what percentage of it will be pure sales versus their subscription services and AWS. Yeah, I agree. So I have... A screenshot that I took here as well. I'm going to share this quick. So this is Amazon's different segment growth, which I believe you were just talking about. Um, yeah, so we can see their their online sales dropped by 2% year over year. Physical stores grew by 6%. But if you take a look at the other areas of their business, like third-party seller services, subscription, advertising services, which you just talked about, and AWS, these areas of the business are growing by 20%, 13%, 19%, 20%. Like these are strong growth rates and their third-party seller services, for example, is a $36 billion business. Like that's huge. That's more money than I have in my bank account. Yeah, that's actually more than AWS generated. So this business is larger than AWS and growing at 20%. And then advertising services, 11.5 billion, growing at 19. So like, 
I don't know. I think there's a lot more growth drivers that Amazon has right now besides AWS, but the focus is just on AWS. So I think a lot of investors were just caught off guard that AWS's operating income was down year over year and like growth is slowing down quite significantly. So yeah, that like the bears that I was reading, it was mainly AWS that they were upset about. Yeah, I I think people pigeonhole down things a little bit too much there. On the earnings call even, and just to keep adding more ingredients to the Amazon soup that we are creating, they said, and I quote, grocery is a significant opportunity. So with everything else going on here, you know, Whole Foods, Amazon is trying to become a massive grocer. Obviously, people always need to buy food. So that was interesting for me to hear them talk about. They are focused on that as well. They had, this is just me reading my notes from the earnings call. They had a record prime and Black Friday. So they broke all their records from consumers buying things. They talked about consumer trends. So they said people were paying lower prices and pinching their wallets a bit on electronics, but they saw that consumers were still spending on essentials, which they labeled as beauty products, shaving products, things like that were still being bought at the same rate. So I thought that was an interesting insight to hear from one of the biggest marketplaces on the world. Uh, high spend on advertising. They focused on that a bit on the call too, that that is becoming a huge, huge business for them. They invested about $7 billion into Prime Video content and stuff, which is interesting to me because they are actually producing real content now. So they talked a lot about how they view returns on investment there and all that growth. So yeah, mixed bag. But that's all I really had on Amazon. Yeah, I didn't think it was awful. I thought it was a fine report. Like I'm holding, I'm not, you know, rushing out the door to buy more shares, but I definitely see it as like a just continue holding my shares that I have right now. Yeah, and uh, we'd love to hear people's opinions in the chat too. See all you guys there. So hello. Any other Amazon shareholders, bearish bulls? We love all opinions. These are just our own. Of course, we're not saying these are right, just sharing our own thoughts and obviously would love more more opinions. What do you feel about uh, ne- next earnings report, Daniel? Or do you see any chats here that you want to take? Very good that you put the numbers in their macro context. Hello, Daniel. Thank you for your insight. Um, these are questions about other stocks. So we can get to those a little bit later. Um, do you want to move on to Google then? Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you have some free chats prepared for them? I have a couple. Yeah. I listened to the entire Google earnings call as well, actually. And that was incredibly interesting to hear. I will share more about it later, but lots of talk about AI. Oh, yeah. So, all right. Here we have Google's revenue. For the full year, they still grew revenue by 10%. And you have to think about this. They're growing revenue on top of the craziness that we just saw in 2020 and 2021. So Google's still managing to grow their top line, which I think is sweet. Um, also, they had a massive FX headwind this quarter. So if you remove the FX headwind, they grew revenue 14% on a full year basis. For the fourth quarter, though, they grew revenue by 7% if you include the FX. However, the operating margin is declining. And Google was talking about how they are going to be increasing their efficiency this year. That's like the big theme with all major, all basically every mega cap was like, we're going to be focusing on improving our, our margins this year. So then I have Google segments, search and other revenue dropped. YouTube ads revenue dropped quite a bit, actually. Um, Google cloud grew by 32% though. And Google cloud was the fastest growing cloud out of um, Microsoft. AWS and Google Cloud. So those are the those are the only slides that I had screenshotted for this. Just like really quick talks. Yeah, I did not like seeing the YouTube ad revenue go down. That surprised me a bit. But yeah, not a lot of not enough people are giving credit to what actually happened a year ago. And as you said, Daniel, the 
relevancy to comparing the numbers today of what was being made at the end of 2021, of the end of most of the COVID era. And they talked about this on the call. They're like, hey, like we're comparing these numbers and there's not a lot of growth because there were so many one-time things that happened that were positive to Google's business, which resulted in a spike of all these revenues. And I, I did go on their revenue chart for the last like 10 years in stock and lock. And I saw there were plenty of times, you know, if you go back to 2015, where it looked like the revenue top lined. And in that slice of time, you could say, oh, Google's topping off. They hit the market. And then, you know, you keep zooming out time and it goes up. So we're definitely, you know, getting a little bit choppy on revenue the last few quarters. But I think it's a little bit too early to say Google's down. I thought one well, I mean, talking point here. Oh, go ahead, Daniel. Well, I mean, again, if you take like over the long term, I think FX should basically not be considered. It's a to me, it's just like a short term thing. Like currencies are going to fluctuate. They're just like stocks. So over the long term, everything should kind of just be neutral. Right now, we're in a tough FX area. Over the next year, that might change. But on an FX neutral basis, like Google did grow 7% year over year on the quarter still, which is like, in my opinion, not bad at all. When it, it seems like a lot of people are thinking Google's like done. I don't know why, but well, because of chat G, GPT, but uh, I, I don't know if I subscribe to that yet. So I identified two different battles happening here, and I want you to pick one to talk about, Daniel. One is okay. phone sales between Google and Apple, and another one is search dominance between Google and Microsoft. So the search dominance thing, Google is obviously market leader, debatable monopoly there. Microsoft's obviously coming in hot with ChatGPT, and there is a huge, huge battle going on there. They talked a lot on the Google earnings call specifically about releasing a lot of AI generated tools and basically taking credit for everything that was happening. Google was like, yeah, that's us. The other battle is on phones. So we did see that Apple reported a sales miss on iPhones. I do want to be a bit hand wavy. They're still selling a lot of iPhones. Okay. We're talking about like analyst estimates and the fact that they missed for the first time since 2015. Like I get it's a big deal. Google on their call, uh, the CEO said repeated, repeatedly, their Pixel 7s are hitting sales record. So while Amazon iPhone sales were going down, Google is saying their Pixel 7 phone is doing amazing. They didn't really give exact numbers. So yeah, phone sales and search. Lots of different shifting. Quick, quick uh, comment on the Pixel. I was reading that Google said in every single market where they sell the Google Pixel, they gained market share. I love the Pixel. Awesome. Okay. Um, also, Google owns the largest operating system in the world of Android, which is incredibly hot all over Southeast Asia, Asia. Um, yeah. Anyways, so let's, let's talk about the chat GPT thing. I feel like I want to know what you heard on the Google call. I have to admit, I did not listen to it yet. So I would love to hear if they said anything that, that you want to share. Uh, well, they played it on YouTube, which was cool. Cause they obviously own YouTube and then you can watch it at like 1.5 X speed, which is great. There were things I liked and didn't like. I listened to the Q and A and you know, with a company as big as Google, they do get like a little political where the analysts will try to ask some questions that point them to give us like numbers. What do you think is going to happen in these next quarters? Like, how are you thinking about, you know, balancing, growing your physical products while still focusing on cloud and stuff? And I think some of the answers there got a bit political. But here's the exciting things that I heard. Google, um, Google Cloud is obviously still growing, as you said, at massive rates. They do drop cool numbers too. So YouTube Shorts views, and obviously they monetize shorts went from 30 billion at around a year ago to 50 billion today so that platform is growing massively they are going to start monetizing shorts a lot more and are already doing that and then they also hinted super hard like quite literally in the next couple months you are going to see us launch 
lots and lots and lots of AI products that piggyback onto search and everything. So the war is on between Microsoft being ChatGPT and then Google with their AI uh, coming into that field. So yeah, they probably said the word AI like 20 plus times. I, I didn't count. But that was like the main focus of the call was, you know, we are innovating. We are tightening our belt. We're getting more efficient on spend. And that, that was- Well, that was that, the vibe. so I've been hearing a lot of people say that Google has something better than ChatGPT that they just haven't released yet. Like they've just been sitting on it. So why do you think they're sitting on it? Like, why do you think they didn't release this before ChatGPT came along? Regu a lot of people are saying, hey, yeah, a lot of people are saying they lost their first mover advantage now. Like even if Google does release something better, it's like, it's not going to catch on anymore. I, so what do you think? I couldn't, uh, I know you're representing multiple people there. I, I couldn't personally disagree more on like the late mover thing. I think there's already lots of lawsuits coming up with where are you allowed to source your data? You know, should there be credit given to where you source these things on the internet? If they're like parsing from Reddit, Quora, all that stuff. So that is still something that is going to be battled, I think, for years. I also don't know if it's just going to be Microsoft and Google. Like this is such a fast moving space. that's all so new. It's still not clear to me. Is like a bigger, larger incumbent, the right companies to take this on? Or is it going to be smaller startups that they scoop up? So yeah, I think that they are moving at the right pace. They don't want to get sued. They're making big moves too financially. So DeepMind has been reported in other bets. So like when you read a company's 10K and they say not revenue, like other bets is just a basket case of here's things we're playing around with. They're moving uh, DeepMind up to, uh, or sorry, out of other bets. And it will be reported with their, I, I forgot what they're bucketing it into, maybe services. But I thought that was interesting yeah. as well. So it's going to become more of a frontward facing part of their business. And it's so much more than chat GPT. Like it integrates into a lot more than just search. So I think we're going to just have to wait and see how they plan to integrate it, but more importantly, how they can monetize it. Yeah. Um, I totally agree with you on the regulatory stuff. Like I know Google is always facing regulatory issues and they're being fined all the time. It's just like a regular part of their business now. So I'm almost wondering, because you got to think about this. Google knows search the best out of any company on the planet. It's what everyone uses. So I'm almost wondering like, were they not using some sort of chat GPT thing, as you said, for to make sure that they got all the regulations right? And then in that case, would that mean that a company like Microsoft coming out with their product is now overlooking things? Because there is like, to me, there's like that huge regulatory risk around a product like this. And how are they going to manage it? Do they even know what they're stepping into? Probably, but like, I don't know. Maybe that's part of the reason that Google has been sitting on it for so long. And I don't know. I don't think that they really needed to release it. Like... Google search was working great. They didn't really have competition. So why break something or change something that's working so well? I, I do think that you have to innovate to stay on top of the curve. Like if they never changed, I do think yeah. people would slowly eat at their market share. It's a balance. So YouTube started getting sued up the wazoo. Like they, YouTube is now historically one of the greatest acquisitions of all time, some will say. But they were facing a lot of regulatory issues about a decade ago. People posting copyrighted content, like things that almost would have like killed YouTube. And it's the balance of running a business, in my opinion, of move fast and break things or like be slower, but a little bit more methodical in your approach. And I think it's finding the right balance. Obviously, you know, Microsoft and ChatGPT, more than move fast, break things, Google becoming a little bit slower, but it's just too early to tell who made the right call there. And I don't think this is the one, one company seizes all type market, right? I think these products are going to get easier and easier to make. They're also running the infrastructure plays. So. When other companies build up AI products, there's a very high likelihood that they're going to be using either Microsoft or Google or even AWS, you know, backend services 
one part of this that people don't talk about, which is why bigger companies need to get in there for search. It's just executing these queries. Google on the call said that in this past quarter, they reached the highest number of queries per second. So you have to think the amount of computing power and infrastructure you need to deliver millisecond level responses, like distributed to get queries from all over the globe. That's a moat. Like you can't have a startup company with like a million dollar seed round, like build that. Right. So it's it's weird because they get two sides of this, right? Like they're trying to make money on the consumer play where they already have with search. But even if they don't get that fully, they're also running like the infrastructure on the back end that people need to build that stuff on top of. So it seems like a win-win for me. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, I don't think there's going to be one AI company. I hope there's not one AI company that just like takes over everything. I think there's going to be some competition. Capital Growth has an interesting comment here. I think the big opportunity for Microsoft isn't search. It's including AI into Outlook, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, etc. I think the way Google search works makes it easier to have ads, aka dollars. I agree with this. And I believe that Google announced that they're going to be implementing some sort of chatbot into Docs and another one of their products. I think it was Gmail. So they're going to start implementing, you know, their AI technology into their own services, just like Microsoft is going to do as well. And Google has multiple products with over a billion users across the planet. So if they do that and it works well, I mean, man, I don't know. I think it's going to be fine. I'm definitely with you. I think this is a wait and see. I am not panicking at all. Google, Google has fended off competition massively for like two decades now. So I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt here. They have been, they, I think it was in like 2015 or something, but they said, we are now an AI company. Like we are no longer a search company. We are an AI company. So in my opinion, they're actually ahead of the curve here. They've been investing in AI for over seven years now or whatever it is. And um, I don't know. I'm like not really that concerned, to be honest. Here's another bold comment. AWS, when I was looking it up, had around, they were saying up to 200 million Prime subscribers. That's been growing year over year. It's great. They did actually drop on the call. They didn't get specific, but they said 80 million YouTube, uh, just YouTube and then YouTube music subscribers and trialers. So they did not break down like what percentage of the 80 million was trialers, which was frustrating to me. I text searched the 10K, Daniel, like I tried to find the number. If someone knows, please let us know in the chat, but let's just say 80 million. Those are people paying monthly for YouTube and that is growing super quick too. So you I don't think, I don't think they, uh, include their YouTube subscription revenue in their YouTube ad revenue as well. So I did see an interesting comment that said YouTube ad revenue could have declined year over year because a lot more people are subscribing to YouTube premium, which actually takes away from YouTube ad re revenue. Yeah, I still see that business growing over time. They're doing great creator splits. I listened to Mr. Beast interview on Lex Friedman podcast. And as long as there's people like Mr. Beast and they're investing everything into YouTube because that's the best distribution platform for them to you know, basically sell on where they get money. And then the buyers who buy with their time and eyeballs, which gives revenue, it's kind of a marketplace. If you think about it, there's just an ecosystem they're building that I believe is a moat and is not going away anytime. Yeah. So Avonish, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, says chat GPT is an NLP model trained on data that provides chat like experiences. I don't think it's going to replace the search engine, which is a crawler for websites versus NLP that answers questions. What do you think, Jake? It's a fair point. I already see them as more or less the same. I've already been saying, my phone's going to go off. I've already been saying, okay, Google, and just asking it questions and using Google, Google to answer questions. So to me, there's a huge crossover. One counterpoint I have to this is I don't think the consumer actually cares what the implementation is. And at the end of the day, 
if the consumer is getting the answer to their question, whether that be through like a list of results or just asking it, I would actually argue that it's since it's not different from the consumer side, the underlying implementation is less important. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Capital Growth says, even if you're wrong, Daniel, which I definitely could be, it's not like Google is going to go bankrupt. You will see them lose some market share and they will be able to pivot. Yeah, like I think that Google has so many things going on and I think over time their business is going to become less and less reliant on search. So yeah, I agree. I'm just waiting to see if this takes market share. Like I want to see over the next year or two years, three years, if Google finally can lose its 90% search market share. So I felt like a terrible person for doing this, Daniel, but I did it. Uh, I ran the numbers on the layoffs and the cost. So Amazon, Microsoft, Google, they all did layoffs and they all said how much money they were spending on those layoffs. So I want to be very clear. This is a very mathematical conversation. As we said in the last stream, definitely, you know, heart goes out to anyone that's getting laid off genuinely feel bad. Also on the investing side, I do think that these are important things to talk about. And I don't know what's going to come out of this, Daniel. So at the very least, you'll learn. But here's what I found. Microsoft, 10,000 layoffs, 800 million spend. Amazon, 18,000 layoffs, $640 million spend. Google, 12,000. They gave a range, 1.9 to 2.3 billion. So running the math on that to do a little ratio here, Microsoft spending $80,000 per severed worker. Amazon is spending 35,556. And that is rounded up. And I just took $2 billion out of this range they gave to make the numbers easy. Google is spending by far double of anyone else, $166,000 per severed work. Now, that is more than a year's salary for many people in this country. What do you think of this? And is there anything meaningful to get out of this? Or do you think I'm just getting a little bit too pedantic in the numbers here? I mean, the only thought coming to my head is it means that uh, Google is simply giving their employees more. Which means, you know, I, I don't know what that could mean. That's just what the numbers are looking like. Also, maybe like the type of worker, like is it more expensive to sever a tech worker versus someone like in the warehouse? Like, I guess it's just not clear to me. But when I read this number as a shareholder, I was like, wow, like that's really, really expensive. Like I actually own all three of these stocks. And then I was kind of like 800 million sound a little bit more reasonable. Anyways, just wanted to make that point. I hadn't heard anyone talk or think about the layoffs of that in terms of cost per worker of the severance charges that the company incurs which you know they do have to write off so there all right go. let's uh we, we just spent a lot of time on google i feel like uh we should move on to meta let's go i'm not as well versed in meta earnings so i'm gonna let you leave this one okay so i i did you are a meta shareholder i am and i took some screenshots i unfortunately did not label them i apologize I'm going to look through them really quick. So Jake, what? It, let, let's just hear your thoughts on Meta really quick while I look. Well, I don't know how long ago you started buying Meadows within like six or 12 months. I remember, and we disagree on most stock. Daniel and I have disagreed on Meta. I honestly like Mark Zuckerberg. I feel like I'm one of the only people that says that. Like, I don't hate the dude. I genuinely think Facebook's a cool product. In terms of Facebook as an investment, there was a point where the stock got so low that just based on a price operating cash flow basis, if you didn't think the company was going to die, it was turning into a value investment. So I almost bit there, but I did not. I think Mark is a little bit delusional with his views on the metaverse. I don't think that it's going to be as big as he thinks. I think it's going to stay niche like video games are. Maybe it'll help with work in some places, but the numbers are speaking for themselves there. The ads business is also interesting. Facebook does not own their own 
network or platform or anything. So we saw how easily their revenues could be affected by decisions of other companies. That's actually why I think Mark was going so headfirst into metaverse because if they could own the metaverse and they own all the ad placements and everything that changes their position in the industry. So I was not really super impressed by everything. Also, when I looked at the report, I remember looking at it quick nothing really jumped out at me except the $40 billion stock repurchase program with them laying off workers. It just makes me question people's long-term faith and trust in this company. I don't think they're going away, but there was no- That is a bad look. I didn't even think about that until you just said that, but that is a bad look. They're like, we're going to lay off, you know, I think it was 11,000 employees. And then on their next earnings, they're like, we're going to buy back $40 billion worth of stock. Yeah. That's like, man. Ah, okay. Anyway. (laughs) It's like (laughs) hardcore cringe. I wonder if the, I, man, I think they got to fire their PR department there. Like, holy smokes. Oh, anyway, that is PR has been really bad. Like that's been another talk of the company. Their PR has just been pretty poor. Okay. So I have a bunch of slides that I took from Meta's earnings. So right away, the one we're going to take a look at is the Q4 2021 right here. We can see that overall revenue is down. And I think every single area of the world except for the rest of the world. Okay, well, that's not the most helpful. Basically, every major market that Meta is in declined year over year for advertising revenue. And we can also see here total revenue was down year over year. Operating margin dropped 17% year over year. Reality Labs loss is growing. And family of apps operating income also declined by about $5.2 billion year over year. So basically margins across the board is going down along with revenue. Did not love to see that. One other thing that I noticed. So they break down their expenses as a percentage of the revenue and their cost of revenue now is at 26%, which is the highest it's been. I don't know if it's ever been that high before actually. So what this means is that Meta's, it's it's costing a lot more for Meta to deliver its products and services and their gross margin is declining and it's, actually declining by quite a bit. I did not love to see that. Capital expenditures are absolutely through the freaking roof. $32 billion spent on CapEx in the past year. That's like a lot. But So that was kind of the negatives. Let's move on to some positives. Meta's family of apps is still growing. Its user base is at 3.74 billion people now. Okay, getting, more, getting more bots. Getting more bots, but apparently half the planet uses Meta's family of apps. And I will say that basically everyone in Asia uses WhatsApp, it seems, which is interesting. Average revenue per person is down quite significantly year over year. That's not great to see. Free cash flow. This is what I really did not like. I really did not like this. Cash from operating activities declined by $4 billion year over year. That's over 20%. CapEx is up massively. So free cash flow was less than half year over year. $5.2 billion in free cash flow. And this is Meta's, the fourth quarter is Meta's best quarter historically, because that's when advertisers are spending the most money is around the holidays. So seeing operating cash flow decline like that, that much, I really did not like to see, especially, yeah, I just did not, really did not like to see that. So for people who have been watching the whole stream, there's some, we like to use the term macro sometimes for the tech companies. There's some bigger things happening here. Just like with Google, Daniel, I made this point before with their advertising revenue going down, Amazon's advertising revenue is going through the roof. I just want to keep on pushing the button on this consumer trends thing where people are going more direct to consumer 
to get their products as well as companies also tightening their spend on marketing. I think this was said on the All In podcast, but there was some insider information flying around there that companies internally, when they're deciding where they're going to put their spend, are starting to have real conversations about, well, we're seeing better return on spend in Amazon versus Facebook, because again, Amazon owns that network. People are going more direct to consumer there. So it is interesting to see in both Meta's and Google's numbers, their advertising revenue starting to top off while other companies like Amazon, their advertising segment is going up. So I yeah. expect that trend to continue, which is my own opinion. And if that is the case, not good news for Meta. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, so let's continue on with Meta. This is their cash flow statement. So their share-based compensation is up to about $12 billion in 2022. Operating cash flow for the full year was $50 billion, down over 10%. CapEx was up massively to that $31 billion. This means that the company generated about $19 billion in free cash flow for the year of 2022. And then they spent $28 billion on buying back shares. So they had $19 billion come into the business. They spent $28 billion on share buybacks which means that they're now using their cash position to buy back shares. And also they announced that $40 billion share buyback, right? So if we go and take a look at their balance sheet, I thought that this was interesting. Basically the company has, if you add up cash and cash equivalents and marketable securities, they have almost exactly $40 billion of cash right now. So I think that they're going to continue using their large cash position to buy back shares. It's not going to be done with organic cash flow. And basically what that means, while also the company's taking on debt right now. So basically what that means is the cash position and the assets are going to drop. Debt is going up, which means the leverage, the balance sheet will get leveraged. To be clear, I don't think that Meta is in any financial trouble at all. Like they're fine. But you know, you got to know that their balance sheet is going to degrade from this. And the, the, the buybacks are not going to come from cash flow. It's going to come from cash on the balance sheet that is already there. It's, things are just conflicting to me. So help me understand this, Daniel. I did not, so I did listen to the Google's earning call as well as Amazon's. I did not listen to Meta's, but I have heard people chirping about Mark really continuously saying this is the year of efficiency. Basically responding to investors because he's been getting rightly drilled for burning cash, basically on the metaverse. How does this add up though? Because Mark is saying this is the year of efficiency. You're telling me looking at the numbers based on the amount of shares they want to buy back and their cash flows as well as their debt, marketable securities, that the math is saying something different. Am I figuring this out correctly here, or do you have an opinion on that? As of right now, the company is like, yeah, they could get more efficient over the next year. The question is how much. I don't think it's going to be efficient enough to organically do a $40 billion buyback, though. I just don't, I don't buy it. I think they're going to have to use cash, which is also fine. I'm just saying, like, it's something you should be aware of, because it just means the balance sheet's going to be degraded. It's not going to be like this beautiful A-plus balance sheet anymore, in my opinion. Um, also, I agree with you, Meta, it dropped down to a point where, as you said, basically, if you thought the business was not going to go under in the next year, if you bought it, I mean, the, the price to operating cash will got to 4.5. That's cheaper than utilities trade. So Meta was priced cheaper than utilities as if it was going under like within the next year. So if you bought shares down there, like, I hate to say this, but it was almost kind of just easy money. Honestly, like I was buying shares below 100 and straight up, I sold those shares that I bought below 100 because now I'm like, I don't think this is really a value investment anymore. I would say it's probably above fair value. I did not think out of all the earnings reports that came out, I did not think that it was Meta that deserved to jump 25%. To me, I like after reading Meta's report, I was kind of just like, 
Okay. Like, this is wild. Like, if any, if anyone should have jumped, it should have been Google, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think I thought the price action was just kind of insane. So I, I trimmed down my position. Interesting. Well, not nice gain there. Also, none of this is financial advice. So we are not financial professionals. So getting to the, I still have a position. I still have a position. I just, I sold the ones that I bought down low. I was like, ah, I, I need to take some profits off the table here. No, that's fair. You gotta like, throw a little bit of short term uh, cap gains taps to the government. Like, pitch on the penny. Hey, man, if you're paying, if you're paying taxes, it means you're making money. So it's all good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, anything else to talk about there for that earnings report? Um, not. The only thing that I would have left to say is I believe that Meta is now trading at 25 times next 12 months free cash flow. So the, the forward price to free cash flow now is 25. And that's what I mean. I don't really think that it's like a super value investment anymore. I think it's I think it's probably above fair value now. Yeah. Well, the last comment I'll say is even though I don't own the stock and I've been kind of bearish, you know, we do try to be fair and have intelligent conversations about this stuff, never throwing shade in either direction. Even though I wouldn't bet on it, I genuinely want the metaverse to like. I want to see like a comeback video come out on Netflix in like four or five years of like Mark, like you know, like ripping his shirt off or something. It's like everyone counted me down. Like everyone said the metaverse wasn't going to be a thing, and like now we're like the biggest like multi-trillion dollar like metaverse conglomerate, and like everyone's just be like, all right, like you were right. I want to see that. I don't see it happening, but that would be a fun victory story throughout this decade. Yeah, Meta really does pull it off, and then. Mark will just look over his shoulder. Hey, told you suckers. Dude, who knows? We'll see. I just think it's I just think it's kind of speculative. I've always said ever since Meta became a metaverse company, I've I've always said it's speculative. So yeah, seeing it up like that, I was like, I need to trim this down. It's just getting too big. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you have it. If you're just tuning in for the first forty five minutes, we did a little bit of Snapchat earnings, followed by Amazon earnings, Google earnings and meta earnings it has obviously been a wild week and while that wasn't all the earnings reports is what we were able to go through it does look like we have about 14 minutes left uh, as most of you know daniel is over there in asia so it's nighttime for you and it is morning for me in new york typically at this time we take stocks from the chat what's in jake's coffee uh nothing because i finished it that's why i'm so hyper uh but yeah this time we usually take stocks from the chat uh review them live we do get a lot of repeat stocks, so last thing I want to plug here, Daniel, is we are working on having our videos clipped up and be searchable so we could easily point you to stocks that we've talked about in past streams. We obviously don't think you will all go through hours and hours of content to find them, so we're going to do our best to get through everything. And take it away, Daniel, uh, if you want to pick the first ones. All right, so I can't find the comment, but someone asked me. I got I got our weekly BAM comment. So <laughs> no week. BAM. This, week, this week, the BAM comment is... Am I excited for earnings? Obviously. I'm very excited. I think I think they're going to crush it. <laughs> Are you going to get sleep the night before or what? Dude, I bought an unhealthy amount of that stock. I like I don't even want to say how much I bought. I've bought I bought 0, so I'm che cheering you on there. But yeah, it was one of those moments where I was like I just see the opportunity. I think it's so good that like I'm going to go kind of big and I did. So that happened. Anyways, there are other segments of the business. Brookfield Infrastructure reported absolutely smashed earnings. Brookfield Renewables reported absolutely smashed earnings. Brookfield Asset Management is acquiring more businesses, which is exactly what they said they were going to do. So I think they're going to do great. Once BAM reports their earnings, the dividend yield will also be there. So everyone is, all, is, is finally going to see BAM's dividend yield once they report earnings. And then I think that's finally going to 
Sadly, it's going to take away the opportunity because I'm speculating the stock's going to go up once dividend investors, like once it gets on dividend investors' radars, I'm speculating it's going to, it's going to, um, the opportunity is not going to be as obvious, which sucks for me. But what can you do? That's why I loaded up as much as I possibly freaking could. <laughs> I also just realized that when you like an earnings report, you have a catchphrase where you say, they smashed earnings. And I'm just like imagining you basically like Kool-Aid man, just like jumping through a wall, like bam. They smashed it. Oh, that's good. All right, let's move on. Oh, what the heck just happened? All right, could you please review CargoJet? They have negative free cash flow metrics. Yes, they do. So this company has negative free cash flow. It's not an obvious one. Um, I do own shares. And the reason I own it is because they're growing so quick and they're investing so much money into growing their fleet of um, cargo airplanes, essentially. So they're going through a massive, massive CapEx cycle right now, which is lowering free cash flow. And that CapEx cycle is projected to be done in about, it should be done by 2026. And the management is projecting that by 2026, the company should be generating about 350 million in free cash flow. If you look at the price to free cash flow, then on 2026 numbers, I think it's like, it's below seven right now. So basically, if you believe in the management, which I do, it's founder-led. They consistently buy more shares in the business, which I love to see. Um, they've hit their historical projections very well. So I have faith that they're going to hit their histor or their future projections. And I believe in the sector that they operate in. I think they're a fantastic business. So I'm a, I'm a long-term investor. I love investing for the long-term. I can hold till 2026. And if I do, then I'm basically going to be getting a price to free cash flow of about seven on cost today, which I think is very attractive. Assuming that they meet their projections, correct? Assuming that they meet their projections. Um, I believe they're going to though, as I said. And these are these are nice return values. I Not that we should just take it as face value and invest, but founder-led businesses also always get me excited as well. Not to rope yeah, Airbnb well, into this, but that is also a nice thing when, you know, management one cares and two executes well to be able to like trust projections yep. and things like that, which it seems like you do. Yep. Yep. It's not a huge position for me, but uh, I like it. So I own some shares. 3.45 out of five. You know, that's nothing to shake your head out there. <laughs> yeah. It's not like the most amazing business, but I thought it was cheap enough that it, um, I liked it. I liked it at the right price. You know, if, it, if the stock was double what it was today, I would not be a buyer, but at this price, I was fine buying it. Um, all right. Let's, I thought we had some more here. We got INMD again. I think we've talked about that one a few times. Yeah, we, we get that one every single stream. I think they have a super high insight score, but we just have some questions about like if management is effectively, you know, managing their cash. Their yeah. Okay. Carlos says, Daniel, could you make a video explaining more in detail the metrics more you use in stock unlocks discounted cash flow calculator per industry for dummies? You know what I mean. <laughs> also, please break down EXEL. So, We've actually been getting this request a lot, quite a bit recently, Jake, is people asking, what metric should I use in our DCF? You want to do a live uh, DCF valuation? I think it is a more advanced tool, but it is also a really great way to think about two things at the same time. One, company growth rates, since that's how investors usually invest, at least for the long-term business company growing. And then more importantly, understanding how valuations work of the business total market capitalization to their historical financials, whether that be free cash flow, operating cash flow, net income. So yeah, I think doing one live would be great. Sure. Okay. So let me share my screen. Oh, that's the wrong button. I'm going to go like this. I, yeah, I almost clicked the stop cam button by accident. They all look kind of similar. 
Yeah, if I just like randomly leave the studio, everyone, like, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Don't panic. Don't panic. I'll be back. Also, I'm using my phone as a hotspot right now, so I apologize if this uh, if this takes a minute to load. Okay, so we're going to go to Cargo Jet first off because we were just asked about the stock, and I will also go to our DCF in a new tab. Oops. Okay. Reflow. <laughs> All right, Cargo Jet. So, Jake, how's your day been? Dude, it just started. I woke up, started going through some of the earnings reports, made a coffee. Right on. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Okay, so we're going to take... Good, good small talk, 10, 10 out of 10. Thank you. I'm, I've been working on it. All right, we're going to take a look at some different metrics here. We're taking a look at CargoJet right now. So in the Freeform tool, this is usually my process. So we're looking at the Freeform tool. I I usually like to use the price-to-free cash flow metric, but we can see here with CargoJet, it's like 232 back in 2017, then it was zero, then it was 500, 600 then it was 2019, then it was 200, then zero. There's nothing I can gain from this. So then I would go and take a look at, okay, what's the price to earnings ratio? Price to earnings ratio is basically similar, right? It's all over the place. There's no real, there's nothing I can really gain from this chart either. So then I go to the price to operating cash flow. And now this is a pretty consistent chart. Like you can clearly see that down here around seven, it likes to bottom out. And it's overall pretty consistent. It's been up to 19. So the range here is about 7 to 19 on the on the extremes. So this is the metric that seems the most consistent for this business. So then I decide, okay, this is the metric that I want to use for CargoJet. And just to add a little more color there for people following along that requested this, when you see a ratio moon up and go to hundreds and then go back to zero, what that usually means is the underlying metric, whether that be free cash flow or net income in that case, is likely near fluttering around zero. And the way this number is calculated is you take their market cap divided by that. So whenever that number just inches above zero, you'll see the ratio all of a sudden exist and moon up. And then when it goes back down, it'll zero out. It seems that operating cash flow is consistently positive for them at a rate where this ratio, as you're saying, Daniel, actually makes sense averaging out and looking at it at a five plus year time span. Is that correct? Yeah. Cool. So... I'm just going to use five years because CargoJet gave projections out to 2026. Then you got to think about your growth rate. So what I would do if I didn't know this company's projections, then I would go to like the operating cash flow here on Stock Unlock. And I would take a look at, okay, well, how much has it grown over the past five years? So I'll go to 2017, grown at a basically 30% compounded annual growth rate. Like, as you can see, this company is growing its cash flow quite quick. I don't think they're going to do that over the next five years. So... I would say like 12. See what happens with the growth rate of 12. Price ratio on average, it's been 10.6, which we sh which we show right here. And I want a 10% discount rate. This is your return rate. So basically what this tells us is over the next five years, if CargoJet can produce a 12% growth rate to their operating cash flow and trade at their historical average price ratio, then it's a compounded annual growth rate of 18%. Fair value is 42%. So- yeah. I got a question for you, Daniel. The growth rate, that's yearly growth rate, right? So 10% is 10% year over year for five years. And then can you just explain the discount rate a little bit more? I feel like that one trips people up a bit. So that would be a good one. The, the, the most simple way to think about this is this is the rate of return you want. So if I say I want a rate of return of 20% and it's not fair value because at this price, our calculator says that CargoJet will not deliver 20%. But if I want 10%, then it's saying, yeah, the fair value to get a 10% return would be 186 bucks. Awesome. So discounting lower the gains you would like to make, factoring in the assumptions you made above. And it is important for people to know, this is just math computing what you input. This is not like a real 
analyst buy target or something. So it's very important to keep that in mind. Yeah. And one last thing that I want to say is I've been talking about the free cash flow by 2026, but in terms of operating cash flow, basically CargoJet is producing or is projected to produce about 550 million of operating cash flow for the year 2026. So right here, we can see that at a 12% growth rate, that would equal operating cash flow of 455 million, which is actually below their projections. So that means that the growth rate has to go up. And then I would scroll back down here. Okay, 2026, um, end of 2026 now is about 510 million. That's close enough for me. So that means the company is projecting a growth rate of about 15%, which increases the compounded annual return and the fair value. So that's just kind of the way I do it. I like to think about it. And also I like this in CargoJet's case because, okay, let's say management misses this goal. Let's say they only do 10% growth over the next five years. It still means the company is selling below fair value today and will deliver a pretty strong return if they do 8% growth. Um, compounded annual growth rate still 14%, still below fair value. So even if management doesn't meet their projections at all, even if they're half, then I think that the stock is still cheap and should still offer decent returns. So that's what I mean is like, I'm happy to buy it at this price. If it was higher, well, well, well I'm happy buying it. But yeah, I think that there's not a lot of growth factored into today's price for that stock, which is why I'm buying it. Fair enough. Yeah, that, that's one of my favorite tools in stock and lock, but definitely a, you know, use at your own risk, right? Definitely very important to understand how those numbers are all working out. And with that, Daniel, I know it is late over there. It does seem like we are getting up to about an hour. Was there anything else that you wanted to add here while we're live? It looks like we're at about 230-ish live viewers. We really appreciate you all being here and appreciate the support. Um, I can, I can, I'll take a few quick questions. I'm seeing a few that I can answer really quick. So while I'm here, I'll just, uh, do you mind that, Jake? If I just bang a few up? <laughs> I would love that, Daniel. All right, thank you. <laughs> this Milhouse 7 asks, have you looked at the impact of the Hindenburg report on Aldani on HDFC Bank in India? So this was a short report that came out on another large Indian company, I believe. My opinion, a total non-factor. Don't care about this at all in terms of HDB. Um, if HDB stock wants to go down on it, only thing I'm going to be looking to do is buy some more shares. It's not at that point yet for me personally, but no, I'm not, I'm not concerned about this at all. Um, I saw someone ask another question up here that I could answer quickly. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. Lost in the chat, dude. There's a lot. Um, okay. The question was, I can't find it, but the question was, what do I think about EQB? Because it reports earnings soon. I can do my best to make a video, but I've been really struggling to make videos in Asia. I actually haven't made a single video in my entire time here. When I have time, it's been like, you know, operational stuff with stock and lock and writing newsletters and whatnot. So I hope I can, but I can't promise that. Um, okay, that, that is a good plug though. If you are not getting our newsletter, yeah. it is free. You can go to stockandlock.com and enter your email. Daniel, we've gotten really great feedback from that. Some people freak out because they say, oh my gosh, you usually have to pay like hundreds of dollars for this type of analysis and things like that. Not with us. We do have a subscriber-only newsletter for Stock Unlock subscribers. Uh, you know, of course, check us out. And with that advertisement out of the way. <laughs> EQB Monday. Analysis, please. Um, 
honestly, I would say just go join the Stock Unlock Discord. I'm pretty sure I'll be talking about it in there. So, Jake, do you want to give a link? Yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm, a, I'm way ahead of you. I'm gonna I'm generating one now. Perfect. I'll okay. Yeah. Drop that I, link in I the don't, chat. Again, I don't know if I'll be able to make a video, but I'm pretty sure I'll be talking about this in the Discord. So if you want if you want some insights there, definitely come join the Discord. Um trying to find some more quick questions that we can answer. I uh, just dropped that Discord link for everyone. Uh I see a nice comment it says you guys are grinding hard. Nice to see. Keep up the good work. Thank you. There's a, yeah, no shortage of hard work all around. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lives of code. Definitely almost went insane trying to launch that portfolio tracker, but we got it out. Been very well received. So if you're not tracking your portfolio on Stock and Lock yet, see what all the buzz is about. We've had a lot of positive feedback from that and a lot more great value coming there throughout the rest of this year. Thank you. Agreed. Okay. I think that's all the quick questions I can do right now. The rest actually seem like they're, they would take some time, so. All right, well, I will preemptively say, Daniel, I will press the end broadcast button this time. We usually forget it. And thank you so much for joining, everyone. This was episode 20, and we'll, we'll see you next week for episode 21. Stay tuned in the Discord for time updates as to when that will be. Have a great day, everyone. I'm going to hit that button, Daniel. All right, goodbye, everyone. We'll see you next week.